the decision to stay or to go, to leave or to invest, to, to cry tears over this or to say, nah, I'm moving on, is like this stupid leaning into this thing that is like the wind, literally like the wind. That is the most like, that is not comforting, right? Like the wind is absurd. It knocks you over or it doesn't exist at all and you sweat and then it it's here and it's not, right? Like that's a like what? You want me to follow the wind? Okay, right? And I think at the end of the day when people feel confused about rise, that's what I go back to. You're listening to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast with Sarah Kinzer and Hector Martinez, part of the TCD Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Welcome once again to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast, part of the Church Digital Network. Uh, It's been a great network for us to be a part of. And if you haven't checked out that network, you should definitely do so. Uh, Just love the community that started to be built around the church in online spaces uh, and not just uh, church planting, but also resources. And so if you're needing community, needing more resources like ours, Pocket Pulpit, seeing how the church can use and leverage social media for ministry. I'm here today with my co-host, Sarah. Hey. Hey, Sarah. And today we've got a friend of the show, guest, Holly. Hi. Uh, Holly, I'm going to, I do this with every guest because I I butcher last names. Uh, <laughs> and so is it stalk up? It's stalk up. My mom always says like a horse stall and a coffee cup. That's there how she teaches it to people. Well, Holly, can you tell us a little bit more about who, who are you? Yeah. Who are your people? Uh, what is your world? Uh, yeah. Obviously, we talked a little bit about Rise, but if you could just share a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. So um, I am 34 and I live in Texas at the newly purchased Rise House, which is our pay what you can uh, retreat center for women. Several years ago, we realized that there's just something particularly magical about a home, that there are spaces you can create in a living room and a kitchen and a porch that you can't recreate in a institutional church setting. And that there's value in gorgeous sanctuaries and big fellowship halls for potlucks, but that there is something really special that happens in homes and often they aren't as accessible as we would like them to be, especially for um, women who don't have as many resources often don't access retreat spaces. That's just the reality, right? Is um, that it's expensive to go to a retreat center. It's expensive to get an Airbnb. It's expensive. And so the premise behind where I live now and host full time is that we have donors that cover the space. And so then I just get to welcome women in uh, 365 days a year. So um, so I live here with my um, dog, Jack, who we may or may not hear from on the podcast. Um, he has already left his quiet blanket that I laid out, um, hopefully. So I live near all of my family here in Texas and um, am really involved in the lives of some kids um, that are um, just like the bonus adult is how we fill out paperwork for them. And so, um, love them dearly. And yeah, I've been doing rise for pretty much my whole, 
um, adult life. And I am a writer. Um, I am getting ready to start my um, MFA in creative writing in the fall. And so I'm really I'm looking forward to that. That is kind of the space where I feel most like myself is um, when I'm writing or I say when I'm in the parent pickup line, which I know is a very controversial statement because many moms never want to be found in a parent pickup line again, but I get to do it just frequently enough that it feels really enjoyable and not soul crushing. So yeah. And then Rise's premise is really uh, pretty simple women are already doing good work in the world. I don't meet women who are sitting around with a lot of extra time and energy wondering how they should bring goodness into the world. We don't need more church spaces telling women what to do or who to be. We need spaces that look at women and say, holy cow, look at who you are and look at what you're doing. What are you lacking? Okay, you're lacking community. Oh, you're lacking financial resources. Oh, you're lacking spiritual resources. Oh, you need a place to rest. Oh, you need a place to be empowered. Okay, cool. And then also understanding that our mission statement talks about creating a a big C church, a body of Christ where women can thrive. But then in all of our kind of behind the scenes paperwork, we have an asterisk by thrive and talk about how like women self-determine what thriving is, right? Mm. Um, And so what thriving looks for me is different than what it looks like for Sarah and what it looks like for me today could be what it looks like for Sarah yesterday, right? And so the whole idea is we wanna show up to our community of women in a posture of humility and with really um, closed mouths and open ears. So asking our women, what do you need today? And Mm. if that changes tomorrow, great, let us know. Um, we don't create programs for program's sake. We don't spend a lot of time brainstorming, oh, what is the next thing? Um, we spend a lot of time connecting with our women and out of that, then sitting down with the whiteboard and saying, okay, we've heard this 47 times in the last year. What are we going to do about it? Um, and so what we do can feel, I think I had to get comfortable with not having an elevator pitch, right? Like you've, if you've run any kind of organization or wanted to start something, you're told like, you need to be able to say what you're doing in like two sentences. And for a long time, I felt a lot of just like failure, shame, or embarrassment about like, that's not what I can't do that at Rise. And so I have a take the stairs with me pitch. So if you're wanting to ride the elevator, Mm. I don't, I don't have it for you, but if you can walk 10, 10 flights with me that I can, I can explain um, what we do. Um, Because the reason that I need the stairs and not the elevator is because women are so different from each other. Mm. And so I don't have a cookie cutter answer to what it is to be a woman thriving in Christian spaces. Um, But the women that I'm in community with, they have their answer for them. And I just get to full-time help them get what they need, which was really cool. So That's so good. It reminds me uh, when you were saying that about, you know, if you can take the stairs with me, kind of one of the the things that Sarah brings up a lot is like, we want to go with the people who want to go. Yeah. And so in that, it's like, sure, I can give you the elevator pitch, but if I'm going to try to convince you to come with me, why not take the stairs? Let's start the journey now. Yeah. um, And we can deep dive now. That's such a, a a different approach than I think most, uh, organizations would would lead you to believe is necessary yeah I think that you know I talk a lot about how rise really does feel like the enigma in a lot of ways of parachurch nonprofit spaces and I think it's because 
the reality of running a church or a parachurch organization is that you need money to do it. And so what we've been taught then is, okay, well, who knows how to get money while the business sector does, right? <laughs> like they have money, so we should do how they get money, right? Like we should do marketing and we should do events and we should, um, you know, have our three-step plans and our elevator pitches. And I'm always quick to say like, Rise is born out of a lot of privilege, first of all right? Like I had parents who could support us early on who still support us. I had access to my parents' network of people. So I don't at all want to diminish that like church planning in a um, under-resourced community as a Black woman is a completely different ballgame, right? Than what I did. But there is really no excuse in my mind for people who are coming from a more privileged position um, so, I mean, realistically, looking at large swaths of the church, organizations are being run and founded by white men. Um, you have plenty of access and privilege to do it a different way, right? You have the ability to do the stairs and not the elevator. You have the ability to refuse the premise that the biggest check writers get the most access, right? Like you have the ability to say, no, 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 no. That's not the way we're going to do it here. Um, and it's made people really uncomfortable at Rise that I refuse, what I talk about is I refuse to send you a prize for giving money to Rise, right? Like, you no, you aren't getting a branded magnet or a pencil or a coffee mug for doing what I believe is the right thing, which is to invest in other people, to love your neighbor. And so, um, yeah, I, I love that idea of like, I, I want the people that want to come. I, I love that, Sarah. Like, I, if I have to convince you to give me money, then you're probably, it's probably not the right space for you, right? Like, I want you to look at the work we're doing and I want to make sure I'm telling you about it and answering your questions and giving you the information you need so that you can be a good steward of the resources you have. But no, I'm not, I'm not here to give a pitch, right? My job is not to pitch you anything. Anyways, I can get really fiery about this because I've just seen the machine that has become parachurch world eat people up because we've decided that the only way to build a successful parachurch ministry is to run it like a business. And I think that Jesus like was serious when he said like to follow me is going to make you look foolish, right? Like, and that the kingdom is upside down. Like, like, I don't think, they, I don't think those things are just cute for Sunday morning sermons. I think they can be like these very helpful directives in the way that we build communities. And so, yeah, I, I love that, Sarah. Like, who are the people that want to take the stairs with me? And I think that's why Rise is like it is, is because I probably in like young foolishness, like the bad kind decided early on, like, I don't have time for any of you, you know, like, Either you can get on the stairs or you can get off, but I'm not waiting, you know, and, but I kind of set a precedent, I think in our community of like, you're in or you're out. I'm happy to tell you why I think you should be in, but I'm not willing to cater to kind of the, the business capitalist structures that we've been told we have to. Mm. Yeah. You know, when I think about go with, go with the goers, that concept, like I was reflecting this week, what it must've been like for for Joshua and Caleb and they go and they stand in the promised land and they, they are experiencing the promise of God. 
Um, and just the the strength that it would have taken to walk out of that and then they present to the people and and the people just don't get it yeah and like there is like I am I am all in for going with the goers but definitely like it is it is a a there is a measure of balance to it. Mm-hmm. Like you said that in that, in your, in your youth, your youthful, whatever, like maybe it was a lack of wisdom or, or, or whatever, but the goal is to get everyone there. Yeah. And that it's, I mean, I, I was thinking about this on my drive into work and I, I just said, you know, Lord, I will go at the pace that you have me to go. Like I, mm-hmm. I believe in the promises you've made and I believe in the call that you have put before me. Um, but I will walk at the pace you give me. Yeah. But I should, I'm going to be walking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. I'm going to be going. Yeah. Um, and I love that, that idea. I think when I talk about like, you're either in or you're out, right? Like there needs to be way more nuance than that kind of Instagrammable quote, right? Like, yeah. um, and I think like, especially as, we get older, I think there is some wisdom that comes in saying like, oh, I can tell that person's not in and that it isn't a good use of my heart or my mind or my resources. But I think what I'm usually saying when I talk about like, you're either in or you're out is to the most privileged folks, right? Right. Like I'm not going to sit with an older white man who can write me a $10,000 check over and over and over to try to prove to him that we're our community is worth your ten thousand dollar check right or i'm not gonna sit with a obviously um, stubborn deeply theologically academically trained pastor who has no interest obviously has no real interest in finding out how to welcome women fully into this community no you're you're not in And when you're, when you're ready to have that conversation again, I cannot wait. Yeah. Mm. But if, and and I think a lot of this has to do with the fact of acknowledging our finiteness, which is hard. If you're a visionary, if you're a leader, if you are even someone who wouldn't identify as a visionary or a leader, but you get fired up about whatever it is, right? Um, It is, it is really hard. identify like oh I'm fired up and also I've got to sleep right and I have to eat and there are these people um family and friends friends that are like family that I have to invest in right and so okay then that leaves this percentage of me to do this ministry work or to invest in my calling okay so that means then that I can either sit with the very wealthy donor or the very powerful pastor who's going to take 14 times as long to convince that the promised land really is as good as I'm saying it is. Mm-hmm. Or I can go sit with a bunch of college kids yeah. who are open-minded and asking questions and only have $5 a month to invest and don't know the big words. And I can find 47 of them in an hour coffee date who are like, holy crap. Yeah. Let's go to the promised land. Right. Yeah. And so I think I appreciate you saying that Sarah, like 
it cannot become, because I think especially like as we deconstruct, you know, like let's just drop the, the big word that is just now like suddenly become meaningless because we use it so often and that's okay, right? It's like when Rob Bell talked about years ago, how he says he loves tacos at lunch and then I'll go home and tell his wife that he also loves her and like what the, what the heck is love <laughs> if we love tacos and love our wife. And I, and I think that's now deconstruction is really meaningful and, but it's, it's become hard to, to parse out. But when we, when we talk about deconstruction, it, it can be so easy once we've walked the stairs to say like, why isn't everyone else here? Yeah. What, why didn't, why aren't you all on the landing with me already? Right. Like, um, and you know, or if we got privileged and got to take the elevator on deconstruction, because we didn't have a bunch of church trauma and we had a community that welcomed our questions and we weren't walking in with abuse. And we have, you know, I have these really incredibly open-minded baby boomer Christian parents who like are talking about abolishing prisons with us, right? Like my journey on figuring out what faith is, has been completely different from someone who grew up as a homeschooled fundamentalist kid, right? And so it's so easy for me to say in the context of this, right? Like there's a reason we use the phrase faith journey, right? Like there, it is a, it is, you have to have a word that communicates travel, right? Mm. And, and if you're not traveling, I'm definitely probably not interested in, in being there, or if you're at least not contemplating traveling, right? Like if you're not at least asking, so what is the promised land? Like what road would we take to get there? What would we need to carry? You know, those kinds of things. And so I think like all that to say, like the nuance, Sarah, of saying, yeah, I'm walking and I'd really like you to walk with me. Also, because I'm human, I'd prefer that you walk the exact same path at the exact same pace, take breaks when I need to take them and pack the right picnic food, right? Like, but what do we, what do we do? And that's great. I need somebody that will walk at my same pace with my same picnic food. And that's super valuable. And that's why we can be unified and and have diversified communities within unity, right? Like I don't always have to sit at the long table. Sometimes I want to sit in my little group, but then when I go back to the long table, the question is, how do I, and the answer is the Holy spirit, which is so annoying because it's so not tangible. And sometimes I can't tell if it's my selfishness or the spirit or, you know, like all those kinds of things, but how do I lean into the discernment that the spirit gives us and, and her quiet voice telling us like, Hey, this person really does want to go with you. They're just scared. Yeah. Or this person really does want to go with you, but they've been hurt or this person is walking, but they're not actually in it. Right. They're doing the motions. And that's why they, they aren't showing up for you in the ways you're showing up for them. So anyways, I, I love a good analogy and I, I go with the goers, Sarah, I've never heard that phrase before. And I'm going to be just pondering that for a long time, but, but yeah, I, I think phrases like go with the goers are so helpful. And then you always have to nuance them. Right. And that's what you're saying is like, take that phrase that can help me set a course or a direction or make a decision and then figure out the like 14 asterisks that I need to put beside it, yeah. which is why at Rise, we use the word, we want to see women thrive and then asterisk the heck out of it. So 
Oh. I think about like when um, a mom is like trying to convince her kid, let's go, we're going to go. Like yeah. think, think about a mom sitting yeah. in the using to walk and she could stand there and like have this theoretical conversation with this toddler who has no interest in going where she's going. Right. And, sh- and she can sit there and argue with this kid forever. Or she can just say, you know what? Mommy's going to go. And, yeah. and I would say probably you know, 99% of the time, the kid will go away from me and, yes. and run after them. Yeah. And so there is power in just walking in what mm. God has called you to do yeah. and allowing the people who, who love you, um, but aren't there yet to right. follow along. But right. I also think about like the, the power of, um, and this is maybe sociology or, or, or something else. Yeah. But <laughs> you think about the other thing you think about is the way that kids clump together on the soccer field. Mm-hmm. Like when they're little, when they're little and they yeah. don't understand, this is where you need to be. Yeah. They just want to go where everybody else is going. Yeah. Here's the thing. And so like finding yourself 45 um, college kids to give you five bucks a month is like this, this hive around the soccer yes. ball and they're having a phenomenal time. Yes. And maybe it doesn't look like the, um, the structure that those who understand yeah. the structure of soccer games yes. want it to be. Yeah. But the kids are having a phenomenal time. Yeah. yeah. And and they're they are accomplishing getting the ball from one location to another. Yeah. Um yeah. and and um there's something probably something to be said and maybe this sounds a little jaded or not pretty, but if you move if you move the goers into one spot and start going, then those people who have the position to fund movements like to fund movements that are moving. Yeah. yeah. And so if you say, look, there are 45 college kids doing this, they yeah. be more, yeah, they may be more interested in going, oh, like what are you, what have yeah. you got that have inspired 45 people to do something other yeah. than let me try to inspire you one person. Right. Yeah. I mean, so much of it is about the order you choose to do things in, right? Do, do I choose to say I've got it? And again, some of this comes from privilege, but like, do I choose to say I've got to have four funded positions before we can do X, Y, or Z? Or do I say, no, we're going to start this thing on Tuesday nights. And we're going to ask my mom to bake cookies. And my mom does not, she would want you to know she does not bake cookies. She, I took cookie dough over the other day and she was like, can we just eat the dough? And I was like, sure. I love that. <laughs> so uh, my mom has never baked cookies for a rise event. She would want me to uh, correct that narrative. But, um, but, you know, I, I really do think it is like, it is so much about flipping power on its head, right? Which, duh, like, how is it, like, that shouldn't be a radical statement. That was like the whole premise of Jesus was like the powerful cast down, right? And I think it's this self-perpetuating cycle of people in leadership positions not feeling like they can cast down the powerful because they'll lose their leadership position right and rise didn't take off in the ways that I wanted it to 
early on for a lot of like very like God protecting me reasons, but it gave me all this room to be like, we don't have any power anyways. So I'll just tell these white men with a lot of money that I don't need them by not sitting down with them, by not throwing them banquets, by not sending them branded coffee mugs, because I don't have anything to lose here. And I think so often people, and listen, again, there's like some really unique things like I'm single, right? Like I don't, like I've got a dear friend who is just as radical as me, but he has three children who must eat, right? And he takes that seriously. And so he, I've watched him struggle to do things as radically as I get to do them because his children won't understand like, hey, we're living foolishly for Jesus. Like, sorry, there's no dinner, you know, like, um, whereas I can take kind of the full breadth of my capacity and, and do things really foolishly. So I really do think it is about thinking about community building as a practice of casting down the powerful. And I think that makes people really uncomfortable because it feels like you're simultaneously saying, I want to build community. And also I'm singling out these people, like these powerful people and saying like, there's not a place for you here, but that's not what we're saying. We're saying there's not a place for your power here. There's a place for you. My thousand dollar donors happily taken. You write me those big checks. It makes my job a little easier, but you have no more access, no more privilege, no more power in our community, right? And what I found is that a lot of people find that very refreshing, right? Mm-hmm. And also I'll just side note really quick. It's also just a horrible model in regards to who you give power and privilege to because the $10,000 donors very likely are giving a smaller percentage of their income than the $20 a month donors are. So you really actually aren't giving the power to the people most invested, mm. right? Yeah. Um, when we say like, okay, everyone who gives over $1,000 this year are going to come to this meeting where we're going to decide our priorities for the next year. Well, for most of those people that cut me a $1,000 check, this is like, their $47,000 check that they've given. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is the one that they really care about, but maybe it isn't. Like maybe they like what we're doing and they value me as a person or something we're doing, but I don't know that they actually want to sit down and whiteboard with me what we should do. Whereas a girl who's paying off student loans and living with four roommates who gives me $10 a month, that's a large chunk of her income which means she probably does want to sit down with a whiteboard and say, this is how much I believe in this. What can we get done? Right? So it's just even just a, the way that we give power to people is nonsensical, right? Like it's based on skin color, wild. It's based on a, a percentage of money where no one sat down and did the math to say like, oh yeah, you're really invested. Like that's wild. It's based on gender. That's wild. Right. So like power is this just like completely, well, power isn't a construct, but who we give power to in church communities in parachurch organizations is a construct. And if you really start pulling it down, it's just a nonsensical construct. Um, and so no wonder it's failing us, right? Like no wonder our institutions are failing us. Right. And 
I think often I feel confusing to people because I'm simultaneously saying like institutional Christian structures are a hot mess and I started one, right? You know, like they're like, "Mm, are you, do you see, is this lining up? You know, and like, I will tell 95% of people that come to me who are thinking about starting a nonprofit, don't do it. Don't do it. Because most likely this idea you have, someone else is already doing it well in the world. So go and invest in that thing, right? And then there's probably 5% of people. So we have a rise girl right now named, named Bethany Four, and she is about to lead this nonprofit that is doing something that is so different that I was like, oh yeah, that is worth all the money you're going to have to spend, all the legal, all the accounting, all the, right? But what we, again, that's a discipleship issue, right? Because so much of starting organizations, starting churches, right? And church plants have a place is, well, the institution that I see feels too messed up and I don't know how I would get power in it to change it, right? Instead of saying like, well, what you would do is go, what you would do is show up, what you would do is, now there are lines there, right? Like at some point we have to shake the dust off of our feet, right? Like at some point we have to say, this institution has no interest in changing, no interest in growing, right? Like, and so again, it, the Holy Spirit, right? Like it just like the Holy Spirit is just a burden on us to say like, no, you can't, there is no rubric to say, is this institution willing to change, right? Like, and we can learn from therapists and, you know, lots of people, but at the end of the day, like the decision to stay or to go, to leave or to invest, to, to cry tears over this or to say, nah, I'm moving on is like this stupid leaning into this thing that is like the wind, literally like the wind. That is the most like, that is not comforting, right? Like the wind is absurd. It knocks you over or it doesn't exist at all. And you sweat and then it it's here and it's not right. Like that's a like, what you want me to follow the wind. Okay. Right. And I think at the end of the day, when people feel confused about rise, that's what I go back to is like, oh, well, we're an organization that claims a Christian faith where I've been told that God is like the wind. So when you say to me, wait, what you're doing this year doesn't make sense compared to last year. I'm like, yeah, talk to God about it. Mm. Right. But we've built a culture where that's an acceptable answer. Yeah. And most Christian institutions don't accept that. And so a pastor can't go and say, I know we said five years that we, I know we said that this was our five-year plan and we're only a year and a half into it, but y'all look, the wind is blowing us a different way, right? Um, Most executive directors of parachurch can't go to their board made of privileged, rich white folks and say, I know we've done an annual fundraising gala for 20 years, but look at the wind, right? And so that's where I'm so lucky is that we have painstakingly, it did not come easy and we still don't have very much money because of it. And there are days where I'm like, why didn't you just throw the galas? You could have 15 staff, it'd be much easier. 
but the culture we've created has let not just me, but the members of our community say, look at the wind. Let's do this. Yeah. And that's why we are how we are. And like you said, Sarah, and then if you want to go to like the books and look at the money, people find that very fascinating and interesting and see its fruit and are willing to cut me a check, even if they think she's, she's kind of weird, but seems to be working. So here's some money, right? Yeah. Well, they, so it reminds me of like an act six where there's this concern raised about, are these widows being taken care of? And they don't say, okay, so what we're going to do is have this banquet and, yeah. and we're going to um, put some, um, put together a slideshow of widows. Yes. And, um, we're going to come up with a, lo- a widow's logo and put it on and we'll throw t-shirts out and put it on the placemats and the napkins and raise money for the widows. Like they find the people who care, who have a vested interest in these people who want to care for them. And they say, okay, you get to do this. Mm. You get to to invest in these people and make sure that they are getting what they need. Yes. Um, And the topic of fundraising and giving, it's, it's an uncomfortable topic already for I think anybody. Yeah, um, nobody wants to talk about money, but um, like when if if you follow, I follow you on Twitter. Hector follows you on Twitter. Like anybody follows you on Twitter, you're talking about you're talking about money and that and all the time. <laughs> and you identify and you say like there is a rise woman who needs X. This is her need. This is the amount it takes to meet her need. Let's meet her need. Yeah, and people give. Yeah, and um. Yeah. And Sarah, when you talk about, you hit the nail on the head. You said you get to do this. We get to do this, right? Henry Nowen has this, I cannot recommend it enough. And if it's hard to find, it's out of print. So if anyone listening does fundraising, um, I can send you the PDF. Um, It's a small booklet called the spirituality of fundraising. Mm -hmm. And it is Henry Nowen's discipleship of fundraising. And what he says is, you do not go into someone's office with your head hung, embarrassed that you need their money. You go with your head raised high and say, hey, God is doing something over here. I'm actually doing you a favor, inviting you in to this work that God is doing, right? And it's been a game changer for me. Because if I ask someone for money and they want to be weird about it, okay, you process that. You deal with that on your own. And that isn't to say like, I've cried many a night about fundraising and still 11 years in, I'm like, we're not going to meet the gold. Um, but like most of the time when I ask for money, I'm like, you're lucky that I'm asking you for money. You are lucky that I get to tell you about this person and that you get to give me your money, right? And I say like, one of my spiritual gifts is taking people's money. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then what we've seen from a discipleship state, Sarah and Hector, you're here too. Sarah just got me fired up. <laughs> is it's, it's culture building, right? And so now people are a lot quicker to ask for help from Rise because they've seen us do it over and over again. 
And people are a lot more likely to give $5 because they've seen over and over again, like us literally give tens of thousands of dollars away, primarily through five and $10 donations, right? But you have to be willing to rock the boat at first. You have to, like, when we talk about, like, no one likes talking about money. Well, how are we going to fix that? We're going to talk about money. That's what we're going to do. You know, like when my friend Ben and his wife bought their house, they literally made public on all their social medias. Here's how we did our down payment. This much was from our parents. This much was from this. This much was from this. Because they were like, we're not going to pretend like we didn't have privilege in getting this. And we want to help other people think through how they can make it happen for themselves or someone else. Right. Like, thankfully, I think with things like unions, right, like because what the world is doing with money impacts how the church deals with money for bad a lot. But I also hope for good. I hope that we'll see parachurch organizations unionizing. I hope we'll see church staff unionizing. I hope that we will find ways that the world. So like we're going to know more what Starbucks workers are making or what Amazon workers are making because they're unionizing. Right. And so suddenly we can take that model and begin having real conversations in the church about what people are making or not making. And so I, that's why rise, we publish what I make very directly, regularly throughout the year. And that is not a fundraising tactic. (laughs) That is because we, we don't know why we wouldn't tell people like, and that's, I think, probably what has helped me a lot is there's just a lot of, like, um, cultural rules that I don't understand. And my parents just taught us, like, if you don't understand it, then you probably don't have to follow it. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, why wouldn't I tell everyone what I was making? If the only answer is because we don't do that, that's a stupid rule. Like when I was learning some parenting skills, when I lived with a friend who had a toddler, one of the best pieces of advice that I got from this book was when you, when you say, don't do this, you need to be able to say, because blank, right? Don't touch the TV because it costs a million dollars. And what we ended up doing was don't touch the TV. And then we would say, because, and then we'd be like, that's fine. Touch the TV. That's like a hand-me-down from our mom. And it's not going to fall on you. You know, like. And and so I think in the church, in community building, in fundraising and figuring out who's going to go with us or not go with us and figuring out what kind of culture, literally starting with, this is what we're going to do because why, why, what, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And, And so, yeah, I just think so much, Sarah, of like, when we talk about meeting needs, right? Like, oh, I know this need. I know I don't have the money for it, right? Which is what so many of us wish. So many of us wish that when our friend couldn't pay their rent, we could just cut the check, which is lovely. And I hope many of us have that money eventually, mostly so I can take it from you. (laughs) (laughs) But, okay, so then what have we been taught to do? Okay, oh my God, my friend can't pay her rent. Okay, I can't pay her rent. Oh, the world is so broken. And that's it. That's what we've been taught. Even though we claim to follow a faith where God miraculously multiplied small amounts of things on more than one occasion. 
and I think what we think is like, oh, that, that, the only way that's applicable is like, if you get real prosperity gospel and, oh, it means that if my nuclear family gives so much away to the church that he'll multiply our, you know, our, uh, tax refund checker, you know, just like wild, crazy things. Instead of saying like, wait, every time Jesus multiplied, it was in community at the wedding, at the feeding of 5,000 is in community. And, and so if we know, okay, Jesus is not present anymore at our banquets. Currently he is away. So if I, if I see that someone needs rent and I'm like, I, I can't cut the check, what have I done? I've said, well, I'm not Jesus. Well, no crap. And that's part of my concern, right? With big check writers is there's a real ability to say, I'm Jesus. I'll just meet the need. And again, if you're listening to this and you can write me a $10,000 check, you be Jesus. You meet that need for me. I will take your money, okay? And I'll, I'll give Hector and Sarah like a percentage for giving me the platform to take your money. But, but if I'm not Jesus, if I can't write the rent check on my own, the idea that that's it, that's all I've got at my disposal is the mean part of me, the not sanctified part wants to be like, that's just a cop out but there's more there, right? That's how we've been discipled to think. So maybe I'll be mean to the pastors and say like, you're copping out, but to the rest of us, we've been discipled in particular in Western Christianity to say that independence is the highest God, even when need meeting. And so not only is it my responsibility as a good American to pay for my own family, to live without any help, it's also my responsibility to meet needs without any help, right? That I write my check to this charity. That I make the decision with my wife about how much we will give, period. I don't sit down with my community and say, okay, how much can you give to the widow? How much you can give to the widow? Okay, we're the ones that have the most disposable income. So that leaves this gap. So we're going to give this much to fill in that, right? There's no, there's no strategizing and meeting needs. It's just, I am supposed to be an individual family unit, right? And so then we could tear apart all the problems with nuclear families and how that causes inability to meet needs that are most likely being felt by non-nuclear families because they don't have the financial support of nuclear families, right? Like the layers and layers of the onion here. And, and you know, like we can do a whole podcast series on this stuff, but, but like at the end of the day, the idea is like, I believe in a God who multiplies, who owns all the cattle. He owns them all. And there are a lot of cattle especially in a country like America, where we love beef, like there are so many cattle, and then there's horses and sheep, right? Like, it's endless. Like the way that I think about heaven is that I visualize this field where you can only see to the horizon, 
but you know it goes forever. So if there are that many cows and God can take that many fish and that many loaves and multiply them so there's extras, the problem is not a lack of resources for God's children. That's not the problem. There's not a lack of resources. There's a system that's told us there's a lack of resources. Yeah. And that has particularly told people that if you don't have $10,000 checks to write, you can't help. And that is what will make me angrier than the 10 hornets that were in my house earlier this week. They're gone now. I killed them all myself because I am a brave, independent woman. Um, but, But this idea, this is a power dynamic idea the wealthy and powerful want us to believe you can't help pay the rent. You can't help buy the groceries. You have to go within our systems or your needs and those you love won't be met. Anyways, Hector, I'll stop talking now, but you got me all fired. <laughs> me all hey, fired. I, I haven't I, preached in a long time and we need to address that. It's just that, that fire but, in the bones. I get yeah. it. No, hey, I get it. Hey, that concludes part one of a wonderful conversation that we're having with uh, Holly Stalkup of Rise. And we we do want you to know we'll be releasing the whole conversation, but we had two hours of conversation with Holly. A wonderful conversation. So we'll be releasing the next episode either later this week or next week during our regular time. But I do want to let you know that the conclusion of that that conversation that we had, there will be a bonus clip from that uh, in our podcast feed. Thanks so much for listening to the Pocket Pulpit and know that we are excited to continue to explore social media ministry with you. Um, And if you just, if you see anything that you say, man, I, I, I didn't know that social media could be used for ministry in this way or something that is being done in the social media or digital church spheres. Please let us know. Get a hold of us. We're, we're on Twitter at pocket underscore pulpit or find myself at ctex hex. That's S E A T E X H E X or Sarah at Kinzer underscore Sarah. Love to hear from you. Love to continue conversation there. By the way, if you love what you're hearing, please support us. You can support us on anchor.com or on patreon.com. There is no uh, bonus material, but you'll have the, the pleasure of knowing that you are supporting digital ministry conversations with others. Just helping us to continue to take time to do this together. Hey, we will see you next time on the Pocket Pulpit Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.